Well, I got to tell you, uh, this is really exciting for me uh, to have my good buddy and brother in Christ, John Kolb, with, uh, with us today because he has had such a tremendous impact on my life and such a tremendous impact uh, on, on so many lives uh, right here and uh, throughout the region and really throughout the country and the world. And, and if you uh, were to look up the word mentor in, uh, uh, in Webster's, Webster's Dictionary, you would see a picture of John Kolb. Uh, seriously, I mean, you know, when I first met John, it was my rookie year, uh, and we were doing one-on-ones against the defensive line, pass blocking, and, and John was uh, our starting left tackle, and he was going against uh, Dw- uh, Dwight Mad Dog White. And uh, as Dwight came off the ball, John jammed him with a double punch to the solar plexus. And it stopped Dwight right in his tracks, and uh, the one-on-one was over. And so as he was walking back uh, behind the drill, I was standing there, and I'm, you know, I'm just, you know, a, a rookie, you know, just co- cool. Uh, that was really cool. What, you know, what did you do, and, uh, and how did you do it? And, and, and he said, Tunch, do you like Westerns? I said, man, I love Westerns. He said, it's like a quick draw. Uh, he said, you get your hands up real quick, and you pop them in the chest. And, and, and I said, and, and you do that every time, and it works. He goes, yeah, would you, would you like to see what it feels like? You know, so like a dummy, I go, yeah, 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 do it to me. And he said, now, brace yourself. Now, that should have been a clue. And, uh, and so he goes, now, reach for me, and I'll do it to you. And so I reach for him, and he jams me. And it kind of felt like uh, uh, in one of those movies in the emergency room where they put the paddles on a guy. And they go clear, and uh, that's what my body felt like. It, it almost felt like he broke my sternum, and, and my whole body felt like a tuning fork. And I was just kind of, and so after that, I followed John around. I followed him to the weight room. I followed him to the film room. Uh, if he'd go out to, on the practice field early to take sets, I would follow him. If he would come uh, stay out late, I would stay there and follow him. Uh, and then uh, uh, that went from, from him as uh, he played for 13 years uh, with the Steelers and he played on all four uh, Super Bowl teams. And he was just a, one of the best offensive tackles in the National Football League. He was on the All-Steelers 75th team. He was on the All-Steelers 50th team. And uh, he was all pro. And he was just a great player. And then when he became a coach, I kept following him. And then I started going to a Bible study at his house, and I wanted to, be, I wanted to follow him uh, as a Christ follower. And the, the great thing is, you know, Paul, uh, in one of his letters, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, I've never heard John say those words, but his life tells you that. His life speaks of that. Follow me as I follow Christ. So what a great, you know, for, for me to learn what it meant, his lovely wife Deborah's here, to be a godly husband and a godly father, man, I was following uh, John Kolb. Uh, and so not only did he coach for 10 years, not only did he play for 13 years, uh, he's also a professor at Youngstown State University. He's also a, a physical therapist, and he is a great brother, and you're going to really enjoy our time together. But before I bring him up, i got a little video for you. Let's take a look. Number 55.
Welcome, my good buddy, brother, John Cole. So I know I've asked you this, uh, each one of the services, but it's a, it's a question worth asking. When you are watching those highlights, what's going through your mind? You asked, excuse me, you asked that first service? Yeah. Um, you know, just now, I was watching the choir. Yeah. And uh, I was a sheep. Yeah. That means in, when I was in grade school, uh, they had Christmas plays. Right. And you tried out for the choir. Mm -hmm. And the best boy singer got to be Joseph. Yeah. The next three best singers got to be wise men. Uh -huh. If you could sing a little bit, then you were a shepherd. Right. If you couldn't sing a lick, you were a sheep. <laughs> <laughs> they would paint our nose black and put sh uh, sheets on us and we'd go, bah. and I was watching, I was, I was, nobody, I was, I hope the choir hears this, but I was watching everybody, I can't do that, and I can't <laughs> sing. And I was, you know, honestly, I was thinking just now as I was watching that, is that God has given everybody uh, something. Yeah. In Romans 12, 6, it says right. everybody's been given a gift. Right. And that... That, that gift's not yours? That, no, I'm not a mine sheep. Either. I'm a sheep. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, and also, I guess what I'm thinking, too, is... Uh, but this is Pittsburgh. Um, people that can run into things, somehow yeah. we esteem that ability that we can run into things. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was the same thing. In sixth grade, I remember uh, when we were singing in a sixth grade choir, uh, and everyone was in it in the class, and I was told to mouth the words. So... Uh, <laughs> Uh, 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 I'm, I'm with you. So, you know, uh, Colby, you played in four Super Bowls. Not many uh, people can say that. The, the, the Super Bowl experience was, was a very special uh, uh, experience for you. I, I know that with the guys and, and just the team that you played for. It, it was. I, um, you know, I, I really don't think about it that much now because I, I wanted my life not to be static. I wanted it to, to constantly be dynamic and moving. But during those times, uh, I love the word adventure. Our yeah. nonprofit is adventures and training with a purpose because adventure means you don't know how it's going to turn out. Right. And it's really cool to me to live your life in adventure. Right. And, and, uh, and so going down there... Um, and uh, four times in different places, and each one had a special element mm -hmm. to it. The first one, my, my college roommate, who's also the best man in our, our, my wife and I's wedding, uh, was playing for the Vikings. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons that we um, were successful, at that time, when we played in the first Super Bowl, no team had ever won it on their own first time. And so that was like the thing that everybody said, well, the Vikings will win. And we had gone to dinner. I had gone to dinner with my best friend. And we weren't supposed to. We weren't supposed to associate with the enemy because right. Bud Grant and Chuck Noll are cut out of the same cloth. And after the dinner, we're walking back to the car. And I don't know if you all know this, but uh, New England will get a Super Bowl ring as well as Philadelphia. One will say runner-up, one will say champion. Right. And the Minnesota Vikings had just 
uh, had played uh, Miami the year before. They lost to Miami, so they got a runner-up ring. And so my roommate's trying to kind of put one over on me. He says, oh, let me show you the ring you're going to get. <laughs> and I said, ring? What would they give you a ring for to play in a football game? That doesn't make any sense. Why would they give you a ring to play in a football game? And he goes, he goes, hey, you idiot, don't you know that you get a Super Bowl ring? And I said, no, they wouldn't give you a ring to play in a, in a football game. Why would they do that? And so it kind of backfired on him, and I went back to the hotel, and my roommate, Sam Davis, was in the room, and I said, Sam, do you know they give us a ring for playing in this game? And he said, why would they give you a ring for playing in a football game? <laughs> and, we went out in the room, and we went out in the hallway, and Randy Grossman was walking down. I said, Randy, do you know we get a, room, a ring for playing in this ball game? And he said, why would they give us a ring for playing in a ball game? <laughs> and so uh, we were talking Thursday about this, and one of the things you mentioned was a book that I'd read a few years ago by Patrick Morley and The Man in the Mirror. And Patrick Morley says, the process is the purpose, the goal is the relationship, and the plan is God. And, and that process of going to the Super Bowl, of what it took to get there, the day in and day out, the training camps, uh, all those uh, uh, broken noses and things, broken fingers and, uh, and other things that break. Uh, that's, the, that's the purpose of it. And that's what we were looking at. And, and then I, I want to know, I don't want to leave out the goal is the relationship and look at all the relationships right. that have lasted. And I, and I do believe um, God is maybe not a Steeler fan. However, I was, a friend of mine was in Italy and there was, a, in the bar, there was a statue of Jesus with the Steeler helmet on. So, <laughs> yeah. so maybe he, uh, but anyway, so the plan is God's and God does have, whether it's singing, being a sheep, and then you finally make it to, to that stuff. Right. There's a, yeah. Well, by the way, uh, Leo's here, and his son, Stefan, who is a member of the Bible Chapel, is going to be playing for New England. They'll be getting the Super Bowl ring, or for Philly, rather. The Philly will be getting the Super Bowl ring. New England will be getting the runner-up ring. And you know what? I said that in the first two you services, did, I didn't and I didn't say it this yeah. time. I, sorry, Leo. Yeah, the the first two right services, I had said that Philadelphia will be getting the Super Bowl ring, and New England will be getting, right. and sorry, but I believe that. Yeah, so a lot of guys that love Jesus on Philly, which is really, really, really cool. So um, uh, let me ask you something. What made those teams uh, so special in your eyes? Well, I think that was one of them that I spoke to, and that was that we were more into the process right. than the ring. Because if your goal is to get a ring, then you get the ring and you're done, so right. why, why would you do it again? Right. And anything I've ever loved doing, I wanted to do it again. Does anybody ever want to do something fun the first time and then, I won't do that anymore, that was too much fun. Right. <laughs> so, if, but if your goal is to get the ring, then Steph, go back and do it over and over again. Yeah. But I think the other thing that really made a difference for us is that uh, there was a, uh, a relationship, again, the goal is the uh, process is the purpose, the goal is the relationship. And I think, I really believe this, uh, my sons, 
Even my wife said something. I'd like to highlight this in a little bit. She said she was talking about a man named Dave, and she said he's on the wrong side of hope. Um, but my son Tanner is a strength coach for wrestling, soccer, men and women's soccer, and rifle at WVU. And uh, one of his quotes that I love is he says, you can't wrestle in a lab coat. You know, and, and so what, what he means by that, I, I believe, is people write textbooks, they wear lab coats. But you've got to get into the real world. And, and James Dobson, I used to listen to him, and he would say, Tunch, that men don't build relationships. The, Tunch will never walk up to you without giving you a hug. Leo, well, not, the, there were relationships there. And how do those relationships get built? And I'll, I'll clue James Dobson in, is they get built, I think. Women, they immediately make relationships. They just do it. But guys do it, I think, by, be, by I got your back. And then you build that relationship. And football, is a, I think, is a great venue, if you will, for that to happen. Uh, Craig Wolfley. Uh, to me, is my example. I th I'm sure you, you, most of you know him. Uh, my my roommate for like 10 years was Sam Davis, and then uh, Sam got hurt, and we also played next to each other, and we had played so long that even though we were supposed to make certain calls, we had reduced those calls before play to grunts, mm -hmm. and it was just a system of grunts that we had that. He would, uh, and I, yep, uh, and then we knew what we were going to do in those, in those combination blocks. Sam got hurt in the last exhibition game and never play, got to play again. They put this rookie named Craig Wolfley in, who didn't know the grunts. He was, he was making the original calls like they are in the book, which I hadn't even looked at the playbook for years. And he was driving me nuts. And he was in the huddle. You didn't answer me on that call, you know. <laughs> and he wouldn't shut up, you know. It's like it I was, know how that is. Yeah, and I don't want to get in trouble here, but you said we had a little extra time. Yeah, we did. The, the NFL gives us physicals now, and I went and I took. They said, okay, heart's good, and they do all this stuff. It's good. Then we had a hearing test. Oh yeah. Yeah, and they you push this button, and. Uh, and I heard the button, a beep, and I pushed the button, beep. I thought, man, that's a short test. <laughs> so I got up to go, and, uh, and they said, where are you going? I said, well, the beep stopped. They said, no, you just can't hear. Uh, <laughs> test is still going on. And so my wife's always getting upset with me because she says something I can't hear. Well, it was kind of a Craig Wolfley thing. And, and so anyway, the third game of the year, Lil, we're playing in uh, Tampa Bay, and Leo is a defensive lineman, and, and I've got Leroy Selman, who I think perhaps may have been the quickest person to ever play. All famous. And uh, different guys do different things. Lee, uh, Leroy Selman was the master of what Gary Dunn called shake and bake. And that was, he could give you four moves, and if you went for all four, you got just a little bit behind on each one, which meant you know, you were, you were opened up. We ran a play, it was a pass play, 66 basic, and I don't know where he went. <laughs> and they talk about we're on the blind side, and so 
I don't know where he went. I got beat so quickly, and, I'm, and I don't even want to look back. And then the next thing I dreaded here and in Tampa was this roar of the crowd. And then I really didn't want to look back because it had to be Terry lying on the ground. Right. But then all the players were running down the field, and I look, and John Stallworth is scoring a touchdown. So then I did get the courage to look back. There's Craig Wiffley, and he goes, I got your back, old man. <laughs> <laughs> he, got, he, he picked up Leroy, and Leroy Selman. And uh, so after that, I did not care if he made calls. I didn't care what happened. It was vulnerability. And uh, the next year, his, his dad died. Right. And uh, I, I really think that that event in a football field cemented two souls that brought us together again in in many ways. His son Kyle has been in some dangerous situations in Iraq um, that that we that we still that started with got your back old man. You know, uh, one of the cool things why, why I love men's ministry, why I love being why I love being the men's pastor here is because of the relationships. And uh, what makes football such a great sport, as you hear John sharing, is that when you've got 45 guys and they start training camp with two practices a day, which were brutal, unlike today. Today it's country club. Uh, <laughs> not that I'm bitter. Uh, but so you, we would have two practices a day in the heat and it would be intense and we would train together and we would sweat together and we would bleed together and we would laugh together and we would, we would cry together, win together and lose together. And there was a, um, a relationship that built in the crucible of pressure. And, uh, and, and, you know, we had each other's back. That's what made it so great. What I love to tell guys all the time is that's the same thing that's happening here among the men. Uh, we too train together. We train in God's word uh, because we want to be the men that God has called us to be. We too lock arms together. We too cry together. We too win together. We bleed together. We laugh together. And uh, we win together and we lose together. And I always say I feel sorry for the guy that doesn't have a guy. And so one of the things we do here is we have Bible studies literally every day of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, there are, and so, even Sunday before church. And so if you're a guy, let me just challenge you. If you don't have a guy in your life, if you're not locking arms with other men, if you don't have someone you could call at 2 a.m. to come who will come and pray with you, if you don't have a guy to hold you accountable, to encourage you, that you could walk through this life with, that you could build these relationships the I got your back philosophy and knowing that someone's got your back as well, man. It is something that is very special and you will not regret it. And so call me here at the church and I will help get you con connected. Take off the lab coat and let's get real. Our, our buddy Craig Wolfley always says when you get in the men's relationship, you're going to get muddy. It gets messy uh, because none of us have it together and that's why we need uh, one another. Now, you're talking about vulnerability, and I know uh, that you almost got Terry Bradshaw killed, and he was very vulnerable, and it wasn't on the football field, and it was uh, uh, at your farm. I, I've told this a couple times now, and uh, you all will, maybe you think it's funny. It's hilarious. Uh, 
So I'm going to tell you about how I almost killed somebody. And, and uh, I mean, I thought he was actually dead. Uh, to, to give you the, the basis of where it started, uh, my youngest son, Caleb, said to me two weeks ago, he was talking about wrestling in Pennsylvania, and now he coaches wrestling in Nebraska. And he was saying, we have to change the culture of wrestling. Right. And that's really played in my head, how we have cultures. I think I'd, I'd like to talk about that again in a minute. But on our team, it was interesting that we had various cultures, but unlike the cultures today, which divide, these cultures fit really together. And by that, I guess I mean, there was the Rocky Blyer and Andy Russell culture, and they were into their, if you were around them, they were talking about stock markets and investments and stuff like that. I didn't have any idea what they were talking about. And then there was the dressing culture. And if you were here at the first service, uh, uh, Robin Cole was definitely in that culture. There was Frenchie Fuqua and Elsie uh, Greenwood. And I wasn't in that culture either. But there was another one that probably Jerry Mullins and Randy Grossman were the president of. And that was kind of the outdoorsman hunting culture. Terry wanted to be in that, but to get in a culture, you have to have some, you know, it has to be some part of your DNA, and he doesn't have any of that in his DNA. <laughs> and, uh, but he would, he would try to make up for it by wearing cowboy boots. He had ostrich skin cowboy boots. He'd, he would wear, he had a belt buckle this big, and he couldn't, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, and he would carry a quarter horse journal and he tried to pick up the words, you know, and he'd come in there and sit. And if you see him on TV, you know, he's going like this. He would be, he would be doing that, trying to get in the conversation, but he just couldn't. And that was cool because if Terry Bradshaw can't get in the conversation, that's really unusual. But what they were taught, anyway, we were playing Cleveland, who they're DOA now and they were DOA then. Uh, so we really weren't, uh, I don't know, we weren't even talking about the game. We were talking about the fact that the day after the game, deer season was going to come in, and everybody was talking about where they were going to go. And Jack Lambert was talking about he had a deer tied up somewhere. Uh, <laughs> so, so anyway, and Terry's there, and he, so that night, he was asking me some questions about it, and and I sa he said, I never even shot a deer. And, and I said, well, I'm not surprised. But, <laughs> but I said, I'll tell you what then. If you want to come home with me after the game, we were both single, then we'll get up early in the morning. I've got to get up early in the morning anyway because I have to feed the livestock. And I'll throw some extra grain out here. And then when the cattle are done, then they'll walk off. And the deer generally just come out because they're not threatened and it's eating you know, all the corns on the ground. So... Uh, he said he was going to do that. However, he didn't make it. So I went out and fed, and I came back, and then they just, then they got there. Jerry Mullins and Terry got there, and I said, okay, well, I'm going to go take a shower and get ready to go to the stadium. You guys can go up on the hill. I didn't even get out of the shower, and they were back, and they were in the barn, and I hear this banging around, and I look out, and Terry is trying to saddle this quarter horse mare. He's trying to saddle her. He doesn't know what he's doing. He did have it on front words, but in other words, the saddle horns in the front. But the, there's a cinch on a roping horse. There's a cinch in the front. That goes tight. The girth in the back is loose. If you put the girth tight, 
That makes him buck, rodeo stock buck, because, and he had it backwards. And she's in there, she's bucking. And I thought, I better go out there before somebody gets hurt. And so I, I finished saddling the horse. He had the bridle on. And so I, I said, he goes, what do you do now? And I said, well, generally when I saddle the horse, I ride the horse. <laughs> and he said, well, show me. And I thought, okay. So I, I rode her down out about 35 yards, and I ran her full speed right at him. And then she's a roping horse, so she's trained. When I get out of the stirrup, she slide stops, and she stopped right in front of him. He oh, that's cool. And I said, yeah, that's what she does when I rope something. And he goes, okay, rope something. And then, okay, the second mistake <laughs> that I made <laughs> was say, all right, go, on across, go across the road, go in the pasture, and I'll rope you. And he starts this. You can't catch me, you know, and he's doing this. If you watch Terry on TV, you can't catch, you know, I'm on, I'm on a horse. He's on foot. So he's running, <laughs> and I spurred her, and, and uh, we got right on top of him, roped him, dallied the slack, and he's standing there roped. <laughs> and now uh, I got to get the rope off of him, but he kept walking up to the horse, and she keeps backing up. And so I kept saying, Terry, stay there. I'll ride up to you. But he keeps walking up. And so I think, well, it uh, looks like the horse is smarter than he is. And, and so I got off. The next dumb mistake I made is I got off the horse, and I'm, I'm right in between them. And he goes, oh, what happens if she spooks? <laughs> Tunch, they were down the pasture... <laughs> And if you've ever seen the Three, River, Three Rivers Regatta, those boats have a rooster tail of, of water, and it was dew on the grass in the morning, and it's just spraying up. I couldn't even see him, but I knew he was there because he's got this, I don't know if I can do this, it's a sheep thing, but he's going, and, you know, and he's doing that, and, and there they go around the pasture. And I'm chasing them, which is dumb, again. And I look up, and Jerry Mullins is on the fence, and he's going like this, and I'm going, go chase him too. You know? and, but it wasn't going to be him put in jail for killing the, our quarterback. And so finally, on the second lap, they, they already, they'd already completed one lap, that, and on the second lap, he was no longer yelling help, and he was just kind of bouncing there like the, uh, like Turkey Jones yeah. thing. Okay. And, and so they came by, and I think, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, maybe if, he, if I at least try to save him, they won't put me in jail for the rest of my life. <laughs> so as she comes running by, I tried to grab the saddle horn. I missed it, but I grabbed the rope, and now she's dragging both of us. And I'm on my left shoulder, and, and, the, and, the, and, uh, and her feet are right there. And I'm looking, there's Terry. If I let loose, then I run into him, and we both are dead. If I hang on, I'm probably going to get kicked. There's, there's not too good of options there. And so the thing that saved us is I looked up, and there was one of the reins that was dragging on the ground. And so I reached up, I grabbed the reins, and then let loose of the rope, which turns her head, and then she just starts eating grass. 
And I'm laying there, and I'm looking like where, where Terry is, and he's not moving. And I'm thinking, he's dead. He's dead. Should I just go run hide now in the hills and, you know, make them look for me? And, and finally, Jerry Mullins gets off the fence. And this is the thing, Leo, that I, 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 I don't even, but it's, we were talking about vulnerability. This actually is the truth. Jerry Mullins comes off the fence. He steps over Terry, doesn't even look at him. And he walks up to me and says, Colby, are you all right? That's beautiful. Uh, you know, you were talking about the culture. And, uh, you know, you also mentioned Pat, Patrick Morley's book, The Man in the Mirror. We've been uh, uh, um, teaching through that on Wednesday nights uh, uh, in the locker room upstairs. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, he points out is that in, in, in a masculine culture, identity is wrapped up in what you do for a living, uh, how much money you make, promiscuity, uh, all, you know, men generally uh, look for uh, fulfillment in all the wrong places. Um, but, uh, uh, but then we look at, at what it means to be, uh, what it means to be a biblical man. And talk about how that culture, how, you know, you have been such a great example to so many uh, of, uh, of biblical manhood, of, of real manhood. I think sometimes as we try to share, uh, a lot of times people maybe already have a, have a basis of something, but if we can help them connect the dots together. And, and for me, the dots kind of connect in that uh, we are. We're, you know, Ephesians talks about that he came there and gave us the, all the fullness of life. That's a, you know, and he says exceedingly abundantly. God uses, he uses huge words to describe things, but somehow I think, um, I think the, and I, I've learned this from doing Leo's, that's why I echo, go to these conferences, because my biggest problem is fear and failure, fear yeah. of failure. That's yeah. my, you know, that's, that's my, I'm, Fear of failure. Uh, being an offensive lineman, Leo could 70 plays in a game. He's a defensive lineman. He wins two. They give him the game ball. Right, right, right. We lose two. Then Chuck is like, uh, you know, when is your rent? How long of a lease did you sign? That kind of thing. Uh, so I think, I think the, that it, there's a, you know, we're trying to find what is our identity. Uh, Terry uh, Bradshaw a year or so ago, we were together, and he was late, and when he came in, he's going, he's yucking it up. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, what's up? He said, this lady's outside, and she's going, oh, 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 you used to be Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> and he said, yeah, I used to be, but I ain't no more. <laughs> and, and that was one of the things that, that kind of, something maybe you understand, and uh, maybe I'm not saying anything you didn't already know, but maybe it, it solidifies. Uh, I think the most, to me, the most solid place to, to really understand that and a, and a verse uh, or a section in the Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 23. Men, read that. 
If you want to know the draft is coming up after the Super Bowl, if you want to know who should be the number one draft choices, I think I would take Benaniah, Joshebesheth, uh, uh, Eleazar. There's some real Shema. So it's it, the chapter is about David's mighty men. And here's the thing that I would like you to take home from this. This is what I take home from it, is how come it gives you Joshebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebashebasheb
I'm trying, okay. So it's kind of funny to talk about things you're still trying to learn. But then it also says in Philippians that Christ, because he was obedient, he was given the name which is above all names. And so where does our name come from? What, what is it as men that we need to grab a hold of? And that is, God says, go to battle. Men, we go to battle. There's not a, uh, a we, battle may not be with a sword, but battle may be helping a young man, coaching, being a dad. Battle may be putting your arm around a, a buddy, going, uh, the, or I think I said this, our nonprofit is called Adventures in Training with a Purpose. The reason I picked the word adventures to start it is because adventure means you don't know how it's going to turn out. God doesn't show me, I wish he would, he doesn't show me the top of the mountain. You know, we start praying at the bottom and, and Psalm 2 says, I'll lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where does my help come? If you've ever climbed a mountain, the mountain's right there in front of you because it's so steep. And so you're walking, and, and two hours later, you stop, and you lift up your eyes to the mountain. The, the top is still way up there. So you start walking, and two hours later, you, the top hasn't gotten any closer. I, I think that's what the Psalm Davis was ta- David was talking about. I'll lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where is my help coming from? You know, man, we lift up our eyes. Where is our help coming from? It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And you can remind me that, like about Wednesday, I'll need to. Be well, you told know, the three that. of us were hiking in Montana, and I remember I almost fell off the mountain because <laughs> I was trying to find a top. Um, uh, you know, it, it's interesting you were talking about that because um, uh, there is a battle out there, and God calls us to to join the battle. And the reality of it is, some men go through life without wanting to taste the battle, or without. Even know, without even knowing uh, that there is a battle. And, uh, and that's why it's so important that we join in this battle. There's battle for our marriages, battle for our children, battle for our communities, battle for our churches. And, and, and it's up to us, men, it is up to us uh, uh, to engage in the battle. And we can't do it by ourselves. And, and that's why we gotta lock arms uh, and, and, and do it together uh, because we train in here. But the battle's out there. It's like training camp. This is where we train. You know, uh, when John and I ever get to, always get together, we're always talking about what God is revealing to us, whether it's through circumstances, through people, through scriptures. So uh, we're getting ready to, to do this together. And he says, uh, you know what God has really laid on my heart? He said, uh, Deuteronomy 30, 19. For the Lord said, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life that you and your descendants may live. He said that, and I said, oh, I can't believe it because that's what God's been speaking to me since the first of the year. And it's been heavy on my heart. And uh, talk about why you, that has just been speaking to you. First off, I don't know if y'all believe in coincidences, but there's 31,000 verses in the Bible. And we met Thursday, and that was the one we both independently uh, pick. Wow, that was phenomenal. Yeah, but for me, the reason it happened is because uh, 
there's a, a man named Dave that I've been, he had MS, and I've been working with him for about 18 years. And Dave fell and fractured his hip on uh, last fall. And statistically, 20% of people that fracture their hip will be dead within one year. Now, I'm not saying this to Dave at the time, but, you know, I'm, I'm aware of that. And he's in a nursing home for several weeks, and he's just lying there. So his wife calls, and she took him home, and he's in this fetal position. So we started our ATP group. ATP stands for Adventures in Training with a Purpose. But it's also, I didn't figure, uh, it just, again, it's adenosine triphosphate, which is the gasoline that God made for our muscles. So, uh, so Dave is lying there, and so this group of students, has, start, they start going over from Youngstown State and Slippery Rock. They start going over and over, and we're stretching him twice a day. But Dave, in between, he won't do anything. Right. And so every time we go and we come back, we've lost everything we've gained, and we have to start all over every day. And this has gone on for two and a half months. And, uh, you know, I, we try to raise funds for this, and I want to be, be a good steward of the money that's raised, but I don't want to give up on Dave. And so finally, on December 18th, I said, Dave, what do you want to do? If you don't put something into this, if you don't start stretching in between, you're going to die. What do you want to do? And when he said, I don't know, I almost fell over because that was not the answer that I was expecting. That was not even an answer I could imagine. I said, "Did you, Dave, what I'm saying is, if you don't do this, you're going to die. Now, what do you want to do? He goes, I don't know. And so that was December 18th, and I looked at his wife, and I said, well, maybe we should call hospice. And she called hospice that day. They came in, started giving him the medications to make him comfortable. Uh, Twelve days later, on December 30th, he died. And he was as, I, 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 it just, and I started thinking of that verse. Because God said, I've said before us, everyone, I've said before you life and death. And the life word there is the, is the, the Hebrew word is C-H-A-I. And it's the same thing as Jesus is talking about exceedingly abundantly life, uh, all the fulfillment of life. He said, I've set before you that life. Choose life. And I think as I've thought about it, there's three choices. We can choose life. What's the second one? We can choose death. But you know what? Here's the thing we really have to understand. That we have to make a choice. And if we don't choose life, we die. One of my, uh, I don't know, I have verses. I don't know if they're favorites, but they are certainly eye-openers. And Elijah says in 1 Kings, and, and the culture of that time is much like the culture today. The people were leaving, following God. And there were these 450 prophets of Baal that seemed to be winning. And Elijah, I can just see him standing up. Wouldn't it be neat if we had a leader today that would stand up and say what Elijah did? And what he said was, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? 
And when we sit down, you're going to give people a chance to make a, to make a decision, right. to choose life, eternal life. But I, what I wanted to suggest is that God also talks about exceedingly abundantly while we're living here. And he talks about all the fullness while we're living here. And it talks about in 1 John, that life of Jesus was manifested. And that was before Jesus went to heaven. He was manifesting life to us. Three things I don't understand. I cannot get my head around it. The first time God speaks in the Bible, he says, let there be light. And then 13 verses later, he makes the sun and the moon. I don't understand light. I don't understand energy which cannot be created or destroyed. And I don't understand life. Those three things are in God's hands. Amen. You know, and, and he is saying right now, right now, choose life. Live the life, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> talking about cultures. We have, has anybody remember... I don't hear this much anymore. People couldn't do something because it wasn't in their wheelhouse. Y'all remember that wheelhouse thing? Anybody remember that? What's a wheelhouse? I couldn't figure it out. A wheelhouse is where you keep your excuses. And if there's something you can't do, you can't do it because you got a wheelhouse full of excuses. So that's what our, you know, some people, the culture is, they're trying to figure out whether you think inside the box or outside the box. What do we have to have a box for? You know, you, what we need is not a box. We need a vision. And, uh, and it goes on and on. People can't get things done today because it's not in their job description. Uh, you know what? Who's the guy? This will be on the test. You, if you're a Steeler fan, you'll know the answer to this. Who's the one person in the history of the NFL that threw an interception and made an interception in the same game? Nobody? Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy. If Chuck would have said to him, we want you to play safety and quarterback today because we've got a guy, Terry Bradshaw, who, and he said, well, coach, that's not my wheelhouse. Or I was thinking inside the box, maybe you want me to think, no, just get rid of the box, get rid of the job description. That's what, see, we get rid of that, and then we have, God gives us the vision and the adventure and there's an abundant life attached to that. Thanks, brother. How about a round of applause for John? Love you, brother. Okay, uh, the band's gonna come out here. What a great challenge. Choose life. What a great challenge. Because, you know, we used to have an, uh, an old saying when we played for the Pittsburgh Steelers that you were a play away from the end of your career. And here's reality, guys. We are a heartbeat away from eternity. And uh, as John just challenged us to choose life, we have a chance to choose eternal life. You know, the question that every man, woman, and child has to ask or answer is, uh, what happens to me when I die? Where would I spend eternity? And how do I know? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus came to pay the price for our sin. And because we can't do it on our own, we can't be good enough, we can't uh, give enough money to the poor, we can't, we, there is no way because the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
of God's standard. And the penalty for that sin is death, eternal separation from God, not just physical death, but spiritual death. But here's the good news, that God gives us eternal life, and that is through our son, his son. And when Jesus hung on the cross and bled, that blood, that blood cleansed us from our sin. And we were dead in our sins. But when we choose Jesus, we choose life. We're going to pray after uh, Kirk and the worship team uh, close us in this music.